Okay, let's get it. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Uh, back this week, LSU-Florida, top 10 matchup, night game in Death Valley, staring us in the face. Uh, glad to be leading you up to it all week here on Locked On. Uh, my apologies to those who were looking for the podcast last week. Uh, just had some personal uh, things happen that sort of uh, limited a lot of my time uh, last week. So I apologize for missing a few shows a week ago, but we're back uh, locked and loaded, ready to go for this week. And LSU is coming off a 42-6 to win over Utah State. It's final non-conference game of the season. Here on out, it is all conference games for LSU. And, man, do they have a ton to play for. Let's begin by recapping the game on Saturday. Then we'll start to look ahead. First, here's Ed Ogeron on the win. Went out there, and, and we played probably our most complete game. Uh, we ran the football like we wanted to run it. We controlled the clock. We kept the ball away from their offense. Our defense tackled well in space. I thought we played lights out on defense to hold those guys without a touchdown. It was a phenomenal day. I will absolutely give him that defensively it was a phenomenal day. And offensively, when you can put up some 600 yards of offense and score 42 points and get a lot of guys involved, that certainly feels like a, a pretty significant day. Uh, LSU finally rushed the football and made a concerned effort to do do so. 51 rushing attempts for LSU on the day. 51 attempts for 248 yards. A passing, uh, LSU threw it 39 times. It was a day where, look, offensively, LSU went out there and ran 90 plays, controlled the ball from start to finish. The time of possession was overwhelming in favor of LSU where LSU held the ball for 41 minutes compared to 19 minutes of possession for Utah State, and that really told the story. Uh, there were, and we'll get to defense in a second. Let's stay on offense, though. Uh, Ed Ogeron, it, some have wondered if maybe this is more what we can expect to see. The pace of the offense slowed, and at times, especially in the first half, it looked clunky in part because of the some, some of the turnovers. Now, were some of the turnovers in part because LSU was looking clunky and not going at the speed that they were used to. Ogeron was asked after the game if this is the ideal pace for this offense. Well, it depends. It depends who we're playing. Uh, depends how well our defense. If our defense is going to play like that, we can we can do anything we want. And uh, but we wanted to control the time of clock. The clock. Wanted to control the time time of possession. I thought our guys did a great job. We wanted to run the football more. Uh, so yes, uh, there will be some games where we have to use that type of clock management. You know, that makes sense, but the thing that's curious about it is if there was an an instance where you would say that's the time where you'd want to use clock management, it was on the road at Texas when in the second half after your defense gave up that 19-play drive, which for all intents and purposes just gassed your defense, that would have been a time to slow it down. And Ed Ogeron famously said after that game that he had the conversation with four minutes to go with Ensminger, hey, Slinger, what do you think about the four-minute offense? And he said, no, let's go down and score. Do it, was the response. Well, that would have been the time to slow it down and grind out a win, and they didn't do it in that situation. So I'm not so sure that given the option in a game like that, LSU is going to slow it down. I think they are a team that's going to run at a, a breakneck pace, and they're going to hope their defense gets healthier and, and can keep up. The thing for me Saturday that was most concerning are the turnovers. The turnovers and the penalties. Uh, you had uh, you put the ball on the ground three times. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair twice. John Emery once. You recovered both of Clyde's fumbles. Now, one of those fumbles 
was a fumbled mesh point on the opening drive, and this happened at Vanderbilt. Burrow and Clyde fumbled a mesh, and Vanderbilt recovered for a touchdown. The next game out, it happens again on the first offensive possession. I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if it's Clyde. I don't know if it's Joe. Whatever it is, there's a communication issue that they've got to get sorted out because you were able to give up seven points on a play like that against Vanderbilt, and it didn't hurt you. You were able to recover that fumble on the opening drive against Utah State, and it didn't matter. When you get into a closer game, that's the kind of play that could cost you a game. Similarly with John Emery, the fumble near midfield. It's the type of reason why when you've wondered, okay, why aren't we seeing more of the younger backs? Why didn't we see the younger backs against Texas? Well, that's why. Ed Ogeron has said he just wanted to like to make sure he could trust the younger backs with ball security, trust them with their blitz pickups, playing the running back position, not just running the football. And that's where you can tell Clyde right now is the most complete back that LSU has as far as his ability to run, his ability to catch, his ability to block. But all of them right now are having ball security issues, and I don't know how you make that better other than just to focus on it, but that is a concern coming out of Saturday. Here was Ed Ogeron on the turnovers. No question. He's going to be just as PO'd as I am, and uh, we, don't want, we don't want those things. We had some fumbles. Uh, we had some interceptions. We're not taking care of the football on offense like we did last year. So we got to go back to our drills and look at him. And uh, obviously, Joe, Joe's going to be upset. Uh, he won't think he played very well. I think he did. And uh, But that's going to keep him hungry for next week. And we will talk about next week here shortly, of course, which is Florida coming in. And in the next segment, we'll talk defense. A couple of other observations. Joe Burrow sets a record now for consecutive 300-yard passing games. A 27 of 38 for 344 and five more touchdowns. He is creeping up on the LSU single season a touchdown record, which is 28, and he is right there on the cusp of it right now, which is just remarkable to see right now uh, how LSU offensively has just been uh, seemingly unstoppable throwing the football. Joe Burrow's already at 22 touchdown passes, and he's thrown for 1,864 yards. Uh, He will obliterate every single-season passing record uh, in LSU history, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this one. As far as um, some of the others, we saw a really nice day. How about getting the tight end involved? Uh, Thaddeus Moss had five receptions for 39 yards in his first touchdown. Uh, We saw Derek Dillon, who might very well be the deep threat option for LSU with Terrace Marshall out, even though he played a lot in the slot. And some of his big receptions were on quick slants to keep drives alive. A relatively quiet day for Jamar Chase, just three catches for 54 yards, but he did have a spectacular touchdown grab. And then Justin Jefferson, it was his turn to shine, nine for 155 and two touchdowns, including a long of 39 yards, which was a second-quarter touchdown. So um, a really nice day for LSU offensively, running the football. Clyde Edwards-Elair averaged better than five yards a carry. Uh, Ty Davis-Price, his most productive game so far, 11 rushes for 54 yards. I just really like the way that Ty Davis-Price runs the football. He gets his shoulder pads squared to the line of scrimmage. He goes north and south, and he is always falling forward. Um, That's encouraging. John Emery, 8 for 45. Obviously, his touches were limited after the fumble. But we even saw Chris Curry late, six six, uh, carries for 24 yards as well. And we even saw some wrinkles. We saw a jet sweep from um, 
uh, from Justin Jefferson, who carried it for 38 yards. And we saw Joe Burrow carry 10 times, 51 yards. Even Miles Brennan, who went in one time when Joe Burrow's helmet came off, ran a quarterback draw, ran another uh, a scramble play in the second half. We saw two carries for 11 yards from um, from Brennan. So uh, a, a nice day offensively all around, but you've got to clean up penalties and turnovers because those are the kinds of things that when you win a game 42-6, to six, you largely ignore. But when you're playing Florida or you're at Alabama, those are the types of things that if you don't clean them up will cost you a game. But a lot to be happy about. LSU's 5-0. and They're at home uh, in the biggest game in college football this week, and that's exciting, and we'll get to that here shortly. Let me talk some defense when we come back here. Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Moving through a Monday edition, Locked on LSU, your team every day. Tigers win 42-6 to over Utah State. Spent the bulk of the first segment there talking about LSU's offensive day. Defensively, obviously the most complete day they've had since the opener against Georgia Southern where they allowed just 98 yards of offense that day against Georgia Southern. Uh, Utah State, who came in with a quarterback in Jordan Love who's a projected first-round draft pick. Uh, they were averaging better than 500 yards per game and 38 points per game. You held them out of the end zone, just a couple of field goals, and one of those came off of a short field uh, after a fumble uh, deep in your own territory. And then, uh, I'm sorry, after the uh, the interception, deep in your own territory off the, the tip ball. And then, uh, man, offensively, you allowed just 159 total yards of offense to an offense that was averaging more than 500 yards of offense a game. And largely, they just didn't have the football. I mean, Utah State ran 53 plays, and when they did, LSU was able to to eliminate largely big plays and completely neutralize Jordan Love, who was just 15 of 30 for 130 yards, did not throw a touchdown, and threw three interceptions. Speaking of those interceptions, here was Ed Ogeron talking about the turnovers. Yeah, it was a phenomenal play, phenomenal athlete, one-on-one. I mean, that's, that's, he's, he, he was the top player in the nation coming in and recruiting, and Corey's done a great job recruiting him and coaching him, and Derek is, is, is a big talent. But I thought we were tighter on our coverage. In fact, I know we were. And the thing, I, I think that we had a better pass rush today. The guy didn't have all day to throw the football. It's interesting to hear Ed Ogeron talk about the pass rush because – LSU only came away with a couple of sacks. Neil Farrell had one. Micah Baskerville had one. But uh, And as far as the quarterback hurries, uh, Braden Fajoko had one, and that's it. So you really didn't get to Jordan Love, but you did speed up the mechanism a little bit. Uh, Caleb on Chasson did return. Here was Ed Ogeron on 18. Thank you so much, Caleb on coming back. Uh, we had some keys up front. Uh, we felt that we knew when they were going to pass, so that opened up some some lanes for us. I thought Neil Farrell played better, Brady Pahoko played better, Tyler Sheldon played good in the middle, so it's good to see those guys open up, but Kettlebone definitely helps. The other thing that was a huge emphasis was after a double-digit number of missed tackles against Vanderbilt, Ed Ogeron and his staff uh, spent a lot of time harping on the missed tackles and how that was going to be the focus of the open date. 
and clearly it worked. Here was Coach O talking about uh, the improved tackling. I thought Patrick Green had his best day. I thought he had a phenomenal day. And you can see our guys running, chewing up all the grass, not giving them a lot of breakdown and stuff like that, giving them a two-way goal. Our guys were going fast. And I thought that all the tackling drills that we work with, the angles and the footwork showed up today. You can feel our team playing faster. Ed Ogeron mentioned Patrick Queen. It's interesting because it did look like eight made every play all day, but he only made six tackles. Now, three were for loss. And just to kind of illustrate how his day went, there was a, an intro, a, a look in the game, it's 42 to six. It's hard to say this was an important sequence, but at the time in the game, it was because LSU had, had scored a touchdown, Utah State had kicked a field goal, and you're in a, you know, a seven to six ball game after they had scored a couple of field goals you're in a seven to six ball game and they actually had an opportunity at a touchdown that they dropped but you're in a seven to six ball game LSU puts together a touchdown drive and then the ensuing possession for Utah State is where Stingley got the interception after the roughing the punter LSU goes 99 yards so now all of a sudden it's 21 to six and you feel like Utah State has got to answer here or it gets out of hand and there was a situation where it was a third down play, and Patrick Queen strings it out and knocks a guy out of bounds just before the sticks. They punt, and from that point on, it was all over but but the shouting at that point. So I, I thought there were plays like that in the game where Patrick Queen was just awesome. And it continues to show how deep LSU is at linebacker, where you can play a game without Michael Divinity, and you can just plug and play Patrick Queen, and you just almost don't even see a drop-off. So defense looked awesome. Uh, you did not see Rashard Lawrence or or Glenn Logan. Uh, Apu Aika was back in for LSU this week, which was good to see. As far as other absences, uh, on the offensive side, there was no Sadiq Charles. That's the third game now where he has dressed but not played, which tells you that is disciplinary in nature. And we all kind of sit, wait, and see if there are more like that to come uh, down the down the road. But you best believe for Florida this week, you'll have Sadiq Charles and Ed Ingram manning the left side of LSU's line because that's going to give you your best chance against a ferocious Florida front, which we'll talk about when we come back. It is the Locked On LSU podcast brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. Might be worthwhile this week with the Gators coming in. Again, Vivid Seats app, promo code KICKOFF, and receive a discount of up to $100. We'll wrap up talking a little bit uh, of a look ahead toward this weekend with LSU in Florida. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Tigers, Gators, top 10 matchup this weekend in Tiger Stadium, a night game. A couple of things to address. Number one, a lot of people have asked, how this ended up a night game. So there's a few things. One, CBS generally is going to take the number one team in the country when they can. And Alabama is the number one team in the country, especially when they're on the road because it it offers CBS the opportunity to go to other venues aside from just Alabama. But if they have the opportunity to take the number one team in the country, especially if it's Alabama, largely they're going to do that. The other part of that is I can tell you that when when Joe Oliva, when he was the athletic director and he essentially lost the the battle to do away with permanent opponents, he said to the league office, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was fine. 
Georgia, Auburn, Bama, Tennessee, they want their rivalries because that's their tradition, whatever. Ours is night games, and we want night games in Tiger Stadium. And at that point, the league and the television partners agreed that they would do what their best to give LSU home night games. And I know that CBS wants at least one game in Tiger Stadium every year. When Bama plays in Baton Rouge, that's easy because generally it's a night game. Well, you can look ahead to the LSU-Auburn week, and that slate of games in the conference is atrocious. The only other game that would even potentially be considered is Mississippi State-Texas A&M. They're going to take LSU-Auburn at 2.30 in Tiger Stadium. So if they had taken this game as well, it would have been two 2.30 games in Tiger Stadium, which obviously would not have sat well, especially coming off an 11 a.m. non-conference kickoff. So I think you had a confluence of several factors that led to this game being a night game. Just make no apologies for it. The bottom line is LSU gets Florida in what should be a spectacular atmosphere Saturday night in Tiger Stadium with a cool front coming in. We may have temperatures in the upper 50s or low 60s for the game on Saturday, and that is just going to be immaculate. So enjoy the day. The other thing, of course, college game day will be in town. Passing on the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas, they'll be having Florida now two weeks in a row because they were in Gainesville for the Auburn-Florida game this past weekend. They're just coming on west for LSU-Florida this week, which is a bit surprising. Um, but certainly you welcome it. The other thing that I think has caught a lot of people's attention is the point spread because it opened up with LSU as a 13-point favorite, was bet up to 14-and-a-half, has since leveled a little bit. But I think what you've seen here is Las Vegas has finally caught up. They have been absolutely taken to the cleaners by people betting on LSU because the general public has caught on to LSU's offense quicker than the odds makers in Vegas did, and they were just hesitant to give LSU that much point, uh, point spread value. And as a result, LSU's 5-0 and against the spread. So teams that have been betting LSU have absolutely crushed the books. And what you're seeing is line uh, play, bet on, uh, the line's been uh, uh, placed on a, on a Sunday, and you see the professional bettors come in, hammer the line, shoot the number way up. You saw it this past week as well for LSU, where it started at 24, went all the way up to 27 and a half, 28 in some spots before leveling off. I think you're seeing that right now. Vegas is finally catching up and making the numbers so outlandish to where you feel like you're going to get a little bit of a split of the money from some that still going to believe LSU is going to cover and others that go, man, you're giving Florida two touchdowns. I'll take that. And the money's going to start to level off a little bit. So I would expect that you're going to start to see more of that with Vegas because throughout the first five weeks, they've just been pounded by LSU better. So that's why you saw the number where it is. We'll talk more as the week goes on as to what LSU has to do to cover that number, but more importantly, what they have to do to win. Uh, it is Monday. Ed Ogeron has his weekly press luncheon on Monday. On tomorrow's episode of Locked on LSU, we'll let you hear what Coach O had to say as the Tigers start to get ready for the Gators. Until then, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day.